One of the wonderful things when it happens in life is when you hear or see truth lived out or taught or spoken about in a way that is simple and easy to understand. And when I say that, I don't mean simplistic, but it's approachable. We live in such a complicated world, how we make decisions, the things we do, when something or someone says something or done something that cuts through the noise and all the landmines and all the different swirling things that are uh, kind of inputting our decisions and you can sit there and go, that, that, that's real. That I can build something on. That we can, we can do something with that. It's an amazing thing in life. It's actually an ama amazing gift when people have that, when they can just cut through and say something or do something you're like, that helps things make sense where things are just swirling. My family had someone do that for us uh, about a month ago. We, uh, as some of you know, uh, have a rhythm in our, our, our family of seeking to go to Wales uh, in the UK where my wife is from uh, every summer. Uh, it's a time of study leave as well as vacation. It's a time of preparing for the year to come. It's become a real important, not just time to connect with people, but uh, spiritual rhythm for us. Uh, and and it, because of the pandemic, it's been a long time since we've seen people we love over there, since we've seen family, and since we've had that rhythm in our life and, and in our world and in our ministry. And, uh, and a month ago, six weeks ago, we were swirling with whether to go or not, right? Because it's like, what's COVID and how is that affect, impacting travel? And rules are changing all the time. Rules in America is how you uh, can, can do things, especially international travel. Uh, rules in the UK where we were going and how that works. And we were constantly watching this. And it's like, should we go? Should we not? How's this going to work? Uh, you know, because they, they, they said, first off, you have to quarantine, which it went at, originally you had to go to a hotel in London, which you had to stay in, in your room for 10 days, but you got to pay for it yourself. And, 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 uh, and sit there and just watch British TV all day. Uh, and, and so we were like, well, we're not going to go. And then they changed that. And like, no, you, can, you have to quarantine for 10 days, but you can do it in a location that you choose. So it's like, okay, well, we can do that at my in-law's house. Uh, and how are we going to do that? And how strict is the quarantine going to be? And what does it mean? And, uh, and, and, and how are we going to think about that? And then you have to go through all of these COVID tests. You had to get a test before you leave to get on a plane to go over there. You had to have multiple tests while you were there, given at certain times. And it's like, what happens if one of us tests positive? And then you have to have a test to come back into the United States. And we're like, well, what happens if one of us test positive and we're stuck over there and what are we going to do with two teenagers who are with us to quarantine in my in-laws house uh, as exciting as they're going to be with that uh, and it's just like should we go or should we not go and it was all swirling around and we went through and I don't know if you've done this with decisions where we like talked about it we prayed about it we analyzed it we got our small group involved they were giving us input they were praying about it and in the month before we were supposed to leave we probably had two or three different moments where we said we're definitely going and then we had two or three different moments where we're like we're definitely not going <laughs> stuff was just swirling and all of a sudden i talked to a couple here at covenant who have family that live in the uk as well and i knew that they had traveled during COVID over there and so i just contacted them I'm like hey can you just tell me like there's all these tests and the quarantine and what are you gonna do and the expenses what do you get stuck and i'm just and like, oh, that's true. The expense of it's real. The, every... He said, for us, it came down to something really simple. Yeah, we have to quarantine in a house, and that's not how you build a vacation, but these are the people we want to quarantine with. And if we get stuck over there, these are the people we want to get stuck with. 
we went. And we didn't get to do the big Facebook moments that you put out there, like, how amazing is this? How amazing? And it was an unbelievable time. You know what that means? When someone just cuts through everything and they say it or they do something, you're like, that, right there. Thank you. Just crystallized it for us. That happens in faith all the time. Happens in theology all the time. Uh, the German reformer Martin Luther, when he was trying to get people and to talk about discipleship, he, they were talking about Bible studies and what do you have to know and all the scriptures and the 66 books of the Bible, da, 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 you know, how that works. And he said, you know, if you remember nothing else, he said there's one verse in the Bible that all of us should know. He called it the gospel in miniature. And it's John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never die but we'll have eternal life. Martin Luther said that's the gospel in miniature. You remember one verse, remember that verse. Boom, cuts through everything else. What do we got to know? Boom, that's it. Happens in theology. One of the most important theologians of the last hundred years is the Swiss theologian Karl Barth. If any of you have heard of Karl Barth before. Karl Barth's uh, church dogmatics were one of the most important works of the last century in forming the Christian faith. But Karl Barth is an academic's academic. And I know we're in Austin, and I know some of you are this way, and I'm not critiquing this at all, but for those of us who are not an academic's academic, Karl Barth's one of those brothers that you have to, like, it takes you double the amount of time to, for me to read his stuff and understand it. Because I would read, like, a chapter, and you're like, that was really powerful, if I understood it. And I'm not certain I did. And so I'd have to go reread the chapter, and at the end, you're like, okay, I think I understand it better now. And then you can move on. Karl Barth wrote thousands of pages. He gave hundreds of lectures. And, uh, and one time in 1962, he was traveling on a lecture tour in the United States and stopped at a seminary in Chicago and engaged with some students there. And one of the students was probably like me, who was like, hey, man, thanks for writing all of this. It's pretty dense. I think I understand what you're saying. But the student said, could you take all of your theology and sum it up in one simple sentence? Thousands of pages of writing, hundreds of lectures. Can you sum it up in one simple sentence? Karl Barth thought for a second, and then he said, actually, I can. It comes from a nursery rhyme that my mother used to say to me when I was little. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He said, that's the whole thing. Which I love when we do that at Covenant, because it's not just a neat little thing we do at a baptism. We're declaring what Karl Barth says is the essence of Christian theology. Every time we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. So that's what you need to know. Things cut through, take complexity, and simple truth emerges. I say all that because as we end our revived teaching series today, that's been my hope for the summer for all of us. We've had a lot swirling in our country. We've had a lot swirling in our world. There's a lot that's swirling in our city, in our nation, in our world right now. There's a lot that's going on that we're trying to figure out how to not navigate. There's a lot that we've experienced. And there's a lot that you and I are called to do. We're starting a teaching series next week called Rebuild. And guess what? There's going to be a lot of like, think about this. Here's how we need to engage. Here's what we need to do. But my hope this summer is that we would just have the simple truth of the love of Jesus wash over us. That's what the book of Hebrews is for. It's meant for people who have been through so much in life is swirling to breathe life back into us so that we can start the fall to come confident in the love of God. My hope is that this is just cut through in a simple way and presented the gospel to us again. So today, as we wrap it up, we're going to be coming to uh, the last 
uh, chapter in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, and I invite you to listen and listen for these themes that we've been talking about of the truth and power of God's love. Selected verses from Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it is well for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by regulations about food, which have not benefited those who observe them. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or where we find ourselves in worship today, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that you would cut through all the noise of life and that the gospel would transform us all. Maybe for the first time, or maybe we just needed to do it again. We all need you, Lord, and we are dependent upon you this day. Let us hear from you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So like any good author, the writer of Hebrews doesn't finish this letter, doesn't finish chapter 13 by adding a lot of new elements here. Uh, but what the author is trying to do, what he or she is trying to do, is to draw together all of the different themes that we've been hearing about and saying, I want to be certain you hear this. I want to be certain you remember this. It's drawing it all together. And so there's things here that we've seen, and I hope you are hearing threads that have run throughout this series this summer about how we are revived. What is the good news, the gospel? We hear, for instance, of the, uh, of the high Christology of this letter, once again, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That it's Jesus whom we're following. It's Jesus who revives us. And when we talk about being here at Covenant, our, we say that we're encouraging one another, what? To follow Jesus, not to follow the great spirit in the sky, not to follow our best emotions or intentions, not to follow the, some uh, different just kind of teachings that are out there about laws and ways of being that work out better than other things. We are following Jesus, saying that, that Jesus is the one to center our lives on. We see that, again, this thread that we've read over and over again is that what makes Jesus unique in all of history is that he is the atoning sacrifice. We hear this language and see this again here. That Jesus in the temple system is both the high priest and the sacrifice. No one else has ever served in both of those roles. The high priest, the intermediary, as well as the one whose sacrifice cleanses us. And grace comes from this, that God at God's core reaches out in grace and never gives up on us, never stops pursuing us, never stops loving us, never gives up on us. We see again this theme of hope that, that you and I are called to live with purpose in this time. That as Jesus has cleansed us and washed us clean, he also gives us a purpose to be a part of the amazing story of love that he's writing in the world right now. He says there's a purpose. There's a reason you're here. We talked with Sophie about this today. God's put her here for a reason. He has a purpose for her life. That's true for every single one of us. God says, come be a part of what I'm doing in the world. Come stand for something. Come have your life mean something that's bigger than just a career or just a, 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 a certain way of looking at your individual bubble. Come a part of something larger. Be a part of joy. Now, rather than going through all these again and what they mean and why they should revive us, I, I was sitting there going, how do we get at this simple truth? 
How do we, how do we present this in a way that, that, that can make it come alive for us? Because sometimes as the church, we have the hardest time just dwelling in the simple truth of the gospel. Because like, oh, yeah, we, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's what we sing for children. We sing in baptism. We move on to like sanctification and bigger words like that. That, you know, it's like, uh, I'm not going to, yeah. There were a lot of words like, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. So, you know, it's like, uh, what's our eschatology? No. What's the simple truth? How do we present that again? And what I found a number of weeks ago is a video that I want to share with you. It's a video that um, just requires a quick second of introduction, and then we'll, we'll watch it. Um, it's a video that is a, a, an author writing, reading a letter that he's written. Okay? This was filmed in February, six months ago. And the author is a college student named Kier Meredith. Kier Meredith is a student at Clemson University in South Carolina and also happens to be a baseball player, plays on the baseball team at Clemson. And in February, Kier was invited as a class that he was taking at Clemson for he and his classmates to write a letter. And February, as, uh, as we know, is Black History Month. And, and the letter was for every person in the class to write a letter to an influential black figure who had shaped the lives of these students. And I imagine that people wrote to kind of the famous uh, leaders who have shaped our, our world and our worldview in wondrous ways, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, uh, Martin Luther King, so many different others. But Keir Meredith's letter was to Tracy Meredith, his father. Tracy Meredith had died 18 months before from a disease that he had been diagnosed with when Kier was a little boy, had battled this disease for years and had died about a year and a half before this. And this is Kier reading the letter that he wrote to his dad. I invite you to listen to it now. Good job, Kier. Dear dad, it's been about a year and a half since you left this earth and I cannot begin to tell you how much I miss you. A lot has happened since you passed, and there's a lot I need to catch you up on, but that's not why I'm here. It's Black History Month, and for Black History Month, I was asked to write a letter to an inspirational black person in my life, and of course I chose you. I'm not even sure where I should begin, so I'm just gonna start by saying thank you. Thank you for the countless times you and mom sacrificed so I could chase after this dream of ours. Thank you for being there with me every step of the way and always knowing the right thing to say. And most importantly, Thank you for inspiring me. I still remember the first time you got sick in 2007. I remember you telling the doctors to do whatever they had to do to save your life because you had to watch your boys grow up. I also remember you promising me that you would fight like hell. You spent most of that year in the hospital doing what you promised me you'd do. You fought. And that summer you were able to come home. Things weren't ever easy. For the first few months you were on dialysis. Mom had to feed you through a feeding tube and clean your trach. I still don't know how she managed to do that every day. As time went on, you slowly got better, but you were never fully the same. I could tell you were weaker, you didn't have as much energy, and you had a tougher time sleeping at night, yet you never once complained. Day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, I watched you grind, fight, push, and claw. Not for yourself, but for your family. I never understood why you worked so hard or why you sacrificed so much. It never really registered until you actually passed away. You see, you knew how sick you were. You knew that your time here was coming to an end, and yet you hid it so well. You knew that if you quit when times got hard, then you would have nothing to leave behind for your family. 
through your why, the reason he worked so hard. When you passed away, I was all but done with this game. I had just watched another year go down the drain due to injury. My confidence was gone. My passion was as well. I remember spending many nights questioning why I was still playing and why I was wasting so much of my valuable time. You could sense the desire dwindling away your last few months here, and you always knew what to say. I can still hear one of your favorite sayings even to this day. Keep pushing, son. When you're finally healthy, everyone will be able to see who you really are. Those words stuck with me, and they are very much so the reason why I'm still playing today. You see, I didn't realize how sick you were. You were always a fighter, and that is what I reassured mom with the last few months of your life. I will constantly tell her, dad's a fighter. He will push through this. And as it turned out, I was wrong. And that's when it really hit. It was, not, it was now my turn to fight. You gave your all to the very end, and that is when I realized it was my time to do the same. Baseball is our thing. It's what we bonded over. It's what connected us. It's what we spent so much time doing together. And this dream to play at the highest level wasn't just my dream. It was our dream. You had much bigger problems than me, and you never let adversity stop you. So why should I? It's probably about time I wrap this up. I miss you, Dad, and there are so many things that I wish you were here to experience with me. I miss seeing you up in the stands and the post-game hugs. I miss you picking up my chin after a bad game. And most importantly, I miss hearing you say, I'm proud of you. Since you passed, I've tried doing a lot of different things to feel your presence. I've sat by your grave and felt nothing. I've looked at old pictures and felt nothing. I've even played old voicemails to hear your voice, and I still felt nothing. But as soon as I step on a baseball field, the place I miss you the most, I feel as if you're right beside me every step of the way. I wish I could see you, touch you, and hear you one more time. But I know without a doubt you're right here with me, Pop, smiling down on me. You truly have the best seat in the ballpark. I love you, Dad, and I miss you more than ever. I know that I'll see you again someday, but until that day comes, I promise to keep making you proud. It's been six months since that video was filmed. And in those six months, Kier Meredith's dream that he shared with his father became real because the Major League Baseball draft happened and Kier was drafted by the Boston Red Sox. He's now playing in their minor league organization. I don't know if you're a baseball fan. If you are, I don't know if you're a Red Sox fan. But I think we can all be pulling for this young man of faith and pulling for his family. Why do I show that? Not just in a sermon, but to wrap up an entire series. What can that uniquely help us to see about the simple, powerful truth of the gospel? Well, if you watch the end of that video, watch it again. It actually follows these last verses of Hebrews we read in three very quick interconnected ways. The first is this. One of the things that makes that video has gone viral and been watched around the world hundreds of thousands of times by many people, most of whom don't play baseball or watch baseball or care about baseball, is because it reminds us, as the author of Hebrews says here, is that at our core, we are relational beings. At our core, that is where meaning is found. At our core, to see someone talking about their late father and the dreams they shared touches all of us. The writer of Hebrews makes this clear when he says that, uh, or Jesus makes it clear that this is what we think about in faith when he says, if you want to know what life's about, 
Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you're not building your life on that sense of connection and love, doesn't matter what your job is, doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter uh, what school your kids go to, it doesn't matter what colleges they get into, you are missing the entire point of why you're here. We at our core are relational beings. And where does the author of Hebrews start? He says in the section we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't turn away to other teachings. Because the contrast needs to be clear. Religion, spirituality, all teach. This is what you got to do. These are the rules. These are the commandments. These are the dogma. This is the doctrine. At the center of our faith, completely unique, does not lie doctrine, uh, dogma, theology. All of that is real, but at the very center of our faith is a person. And if a faith or a religion doesn't touch that place of personal connection, then it misses the core of who we are, and it's just skimming along the surface telling us how to act. At the core of our faith is not content, it's connection, is the person of Jesus. And that leads straight into number two. How does that connection happen? How does intimacy happen? Where do relationships happen? Well, in the video, I love when Kier talked about missing his dad, but says, how do I feel your presence now? It's by going on the baseball field. It's by going to the place where, where we experience life together, the goals we had together. It's there and there alone. In that shared experience, relationship and intimacy is what we're about. And relationships and connection happen through shared experience. Jesus comes into our world. So that God isn't looking down at where we are today with the difficulties in our society and the difficulties in our world and the difficulties we have in our own life going, that must be hard. Here's three suggestions as to how to get your way out of it. God walks in and says, I've walked it too. I've walked it too. And that creates a deeper connection than just a commandment. Think about it this way. Kier talked in that video about when he would look into the stands and miss seeing his dad. The creator of the universe knows that feeling. Because Mary and Joseph were there when Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph were there uh, when Jesus was a teenager in the temple. But in his adult ministry, Mary is there and Joseph is never present. And we have no idea why. Maybe Joseph died. Maybe Joseph got tired of the rumors about the miracle child from Bethlehem and just decided he couldn't take it anymore. We have no idea. But the point is, in Jesus' moment of greatest need on the cross, he looks down and sees his mother, but his earthly father isn't there. Jesus cries out in agony from that place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That when Kier feels that loss of his dad, God is looking at him and God is looking at all of us with whatever it is we're walking through today going, I'm walking it right next to you. I know what that's like. I know the heartache of that. I know the difficulty. I know the pain. I know the uncertainty as you face a future where you don't quite know how things work out. I've walked that road myself. And lastly, what we see the author of Hebrews say is that the one who will see us through is the one who brought Jesus back from the dead, who, wrote, who, who brought about resurrection. First, we see that, that it's about a person, it's about connection. Second, we see that connection happens through shared experience, which Jesus has with us. But what we see in the end is that we will also share in Jesus' experience. And as Jesus has encountered all of the things and the disappointment and the loss and even death, just as we will. 
God is a God of resurrection, of new life, of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, of fifth chances, a God of grace who never gives up from us. And as new life and resurrection happen through Jesus, we will have it happen to us because as he is connected with us, we are connected with him, not through a set of doctrine, but as Paul says in Romans, that now nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's not about whether we follow enough rules. It's about that, that, that neither height nor depth nor things present nor things to come, that nothing in this world will separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. And as he experienced triumph over all of the difficulties of this world, so shall we. And so when Pierre Meredith, even in missing his father, says, I know I'll see you again one day. We ought to share as people today who are revived because we should be people of unbelievable hope. Hope that nothing in this world can get the better of us. Hope that nothing in this world will be the end of our story except resurrection. And if you believe that, and if you believe in that connection, then you too today can be revived by people of hope. Because this isn't just a gospel, good news. It's the gospel. It's the good news. May it fill us with hope. No matter what we see taking place around us today, may we be people of hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for your leading and your guiding. We ask that your gospel, your love would wash over us today. And we pray this. We pray for this revival. In the name of Jesus, amen.